Welcome to the System Hub Podcast. Hola. Konnichiwa. Guten Tag. Where we interview world-class experts. You have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. I was fanatical in my 20s. If you could find a way to produce a business that works without you, your life would change like that. Extracting, organizing, and optimizing their best systems and processes for rapid business growth. Now, let's get into the show. Hey, it's Dave from System Hub here, and we've got another great interview for you with Kerry Bolton. Now, we've found quite recently that we're moving in some similar circles and have done for a long time, but we never really connected until we ended up getting a a shared mutual client. Now, Kerry runs a, a group called the Exit Strategy Group, and basically, in short, she helps businesses get top dollar when it comes to selling their business, and she's worked with some huge names over the past few decades, everything from your Domino's to Telstra to Toyota's to even down to small mum and pop companies looking at what do they do when they're they're kind of ready for retirement and what are they going to do with their business. She's been featured in numerous different publications. She's an author, a speaker, and very much still a hands-on consultant, which I love because then you have like a real deep knowledge of subject matter. So definitely with great pleasure, I get to interview her today. So first of all, Kerry, welcome and thanks for making the time. Oh, thank you very much, Dave. It's a real pleasure to be here. Ah, oh, good. Now, being a little bit of a, a systems guy, uh, what I'm, I'm super keen to do is work through your system for the way that you groom businesses for sale. Because I think the vast majority of them, businesses, they don't think about selling, particularly right up front when they're setting things up. And oftentimes, they just close the door when they're ready for retirement. So I think it's more the exception rather than the rule for companies that that sell. And I know you've got a four-step process that you like to take your clients through and that's really what I'm keen to uncover. So maybe my first question and then that'll kind of kick into things is um, what makes a a business saleable and when should you really start thinking about getting your business ready for sale? Uh, Dave, I think the, the most, probably the crucial part of all of that is that the best time to start thinking about it is when you've actually, when you're actually starting your business, let alone when you are down the track and you've suddenly think, oh, I've had enough and I want to get out. But given that most people do not do that, (laughs) the best time to start thinking about it is now, regardless. Even if your business is a really good, strong, viable business, it's not always saleable. And one of the reasons for that is that so much of what happens in a business often resides in somebody's head or in some key people's heads. And very little of it is really set down and systemized, which which dovetails beautifully, of course, into what you do. So having had the great fortune, really, to be able to have my own businesses, to be able to have built those and sold them, uh, not often do you get that opportunity to do it more than once, but at least I've had it personally. And so I have firsthand deep experience of what it's really like. And so knowing that there's such a big wave coming with baby boomers, I thought, you know, there's not a lot of information out there about how to prepare your business like that and yourself particularly as well for exit. And so I created a a four-step process, as you said, which is around the acronym of exit, and that is to evaluate, number one. That's a step number one is to evaluate. Number two is to explore. Number three is then to innovate. And number four, of course, is to transition. And the time frame around that, of course, just will vary depending on the individual and the businesses involved. 
Yeah, perfect. So let's dive into step number one, which is to evaluate what's involved there. Yeah. So first and foremost, it's about take the temperature of where you're at now with your business and with yourself. So most people have little idea of what they think their of what their business is worth, and often it's an inflated idea, even if they do actually have some sort of notion, or or the notion of the value of the business is around what they need you know for the future when in fact that may not necessarily relate to the business directly so Mm. so the first thing we do is run through a couple of benchmarking tools to get an idea of where the business actually sits against best practice in their industries and they're they're not difficult tools to run through they're they're quite easy and they're very they're very descriptive you know that really looks at the key drivers in the business and gives you some feedback on where you sit uh, where the gaps are mainly and at the same time gives you a number which would be a type of a financial valuation not a formal valuation it's just an estimate so that you can test the water around what you think your business is worth and what the world at large is saying this business is worth with that so we're talking obviously profit is going to be part of it um i'm imagining uh if we're talking about valuing a business here we'd be talking about what are the assets the business has what what are some of the other things that someone might consider when calculating the value sure um really it's about looking at the key underlying drivers that are in a business that that are somebody who is potentially looking at the business might look for and if any of these are out of whack this is when you're when this is what devalues a business so and the whole of a business really is about its transferability which of course dovetails beautifully into what what what, we're, what your underlying business is around and what about creating systems is all about basically we're looking at first of all financial performance naturally you're going to have to have you know a good track record in terms of your financial performance for at least the last three years and let's have a look and see where that's heading that's not only your profit and loss account but also your balance sheet so that's where your assets come into play second thing we'd be looking at would be growth potential is there room in the business to grow so a lot of owners business owners run the business over the top they don't actually think about they, they think more about the short-term gains rather than the potential long-term gain when in fact selling your business could be the biggest payday that you'll ever have in your life so so growth potential what's out there in terms of the market uh, next one would be about looking at how reliant is the business on any one key customer? Is there, you know, a customer concentration? Is there a supplier concentration? Are you a distributor for a major technology, for instance, or, or some products that, that represent, you know, more than like 50% of your business? Then, you know, that's a, an issue that has to be addressed. And maybe there's some staff, some key people in your business. That, so let's have a look and see how... How reliant are you on those and what we can do to minimise the risks associated with that? Another key driver, of course, is cash flow. Does your business generate cash or does it use cash? So no matter what happens in the future, um, there's there's always two numbers. One's obviously the the, the number, uh, the value that they're going to sell, that the buyer is going to pay for the business, and the second one is working capital. So mm. there's there's always two numbers. And the more cash that a buyer might have to put in, then obviously the less they're going to pay you for the business because there's more than one number. So do you generate cash or do you use cash? Okay. 
and one of the other main key drivers is business differentiation so value proposition have you got a moat around your business is it can you position yourself are you positioning yourself so that you've got something that's really different that's unique that sets you apart from your competitors uh, that's the famous one that Warren Buffett often talks about you know that that he really only ever looks at businesses that have that differentiation where they stand out in the crowd and they're not subjected to constant competition so that's really really important Another key driver, of course, as well, is, um, is uh, revenue, recurring revenue. Do you have a business that generates ongoing billing? You know, is it, or do you have to go out and crack a sale every single time? And I, I'll use as an example that people will no doubt understand fairly readily, and that is in real estate. And, you know, when, when you've got a real estate sales business, you've got your people having to go out there and get their listings, and they're going to have to sell those properties. So that's ongoing, but at the same time, value lies in the property management side of the business. So where they're managing rentals and there's a constant income that's coming from rental that's coming through the system and the uh, the rental commissions that the agents are earning to manage the properties. So that recurring revenue creates enormous value in the business if somehow you have that where the client is not, where you're not having to generate a sale every single time. Subscription businesses, as an example. System Hub is a great example. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When it comes to, so let's say you check off quite a few of these things and, yes, you've got a moat around the business and you've got some subscription income built in and let's say if you ticked off quite a few of these, is the end result to then come up with some sort of gauge where you could go, oh, okay, this might now be worth, you know, X number of multiples of profit so yeah. the, kind of the, the pre-calculation is to figure out how much risk there is and obviously the more risk, the lower that multiple should be and, and the less risk, the, the higher the multiple. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. So, I mean, clearly there are general sort of what might be called industry rules of thumb and businesses will can be valued along those lines where it's a multiple of profits. But, you know, I like to work with with my clients to be able to get better than that you know yeah. we just don't want to be average we don't want to be the the norm and it will vary because it depends on the market conditions at the time yeah um, if there's a some big public companies out there going around or, or international groups doing what's known as industry roll-ups yeah there's a really good opportunity for you there to get a much better multiple so timing is really important to be able to scan the market and see what's happening out there, have your ear to the ground knowing what's going on in your industry as well. Mm. And I remember reading an article that you had published around looking for the strategic buyer because they're also going to um, be happier to pay higher multiples. If we think about a range though, like you said, let's say the industry sort of averages just as, as an idea on, let's say on the, the lower range of what someone might look at. But then let's say if someone worked with someone like yourself was able to tick a lot of these boxes and make it very much a strategic buy, what the higher end of that range might, you know, be as far as like an increase on multiples of what they could have got. Well, it can be basically say, you know, one to two, you know, it might be as low as that. And I think right now the average in across the board in the marketplace, that's, you know, you're lucky to get two times at the moment. 
generally yeah. speaking. I was just reading a report yesterday that came out where the average is around about two. That's it. Mm. Which and, is and the is average after the owner, let's say, taking a wage, because that's particularly for smaller businesses, that's quite often a common thing where the, the business owner, when they're trying to sell it, will calculate, including you know the, the take-home money as though their wage was part of that, whereas obviously that's not really part of the business because you're going to have to hire someone to run it. Yeah, that's a different calculation. So often there are what's called addbacks when you're looking at the numbers to be actually to be able to come up with a a number that is the operating profit of the business. So depend. So this will just depend a little bit on targeting. So part of this whole evaluation process as well is to think about. Well, actually, it's it's basically in the next stage. Once once we've done the deep the the dive here to have a look and evaluate where the business is at. Um, yeah. Then we can do some further exploration and and start thinking about well who might buy the business and let's well, let's, see let's move to that second yeah. stage. Yeah. Yeah. So let's see if we can come up with maybe um, you know a target of of probably you know, ten potential strategic acquirers if you like. Yeah. So what would who would be who who would my business be attractive to who might want to buy the business or who might want to buy a component of the business you know that's not always going to be the whole business that's sold you know that might actually only be a component of the business and that might be a better way to go for some people so it's really about sitting down doing a brainstorm and thinking let's see if I can come up with 10 businesses and generally speaking you would be looking at you know the whole range Maybe it's a competitor. Yeah, it could possibly be the case. Maybe it's, it is a large public group, for instance. It could be an international buyer. But let's see if we can sit down and brainstorm maybe t- at least 10 potential acquirers and then do a little bit of homework on that. Uh, last week, I was just speaking to another client who's in the uh, medical equipment servicing business and baby boomer. And there are two international groups now in Australia. Look at creating national networks and buying up smaller businesses. So not only was the thought had the thought processes already started about exit and succession for that matter, but now there's there are opportunities for a bigger play, you know, with an international group coming into Australia to um, to acquire those businesses. So it really means thinking about who's out there. So how can I make my business attractive? So exploring all of that and also exploring your own personal goals. You know, one of the things that's really important for business owners is to think about life after business. For men in particular, unfortunately, you know, they they have a an identity that's really tied to their business and that really needs, you need to think about well, what am I going to do? It might be quite a few years down the track, but even, but let's get the thought processes going now and you need to create a new purpose for yourself in terms of life after business as well. So that's part of the whole exploration process. And your personal goals, what are they, you know, aside mm. from business, what are your personal goals, the financial goals, what do you have, what are they, you know, what, sort of money will you need to live on what will will be a nest egg for you for the future and not only yourself but also you know some of the other stakeholders and family that you know will be affected no matter what and and particularly with uh, again you've been running a business and then everything goes along really well you get a great sale you are out of your business and then all of a sudden 
you're at home, you're trying to run the household the same way as you ran the business, well, you might find a little bit of conflict. So, you know, I think that that uh, this whole exploration process means looking at all of those areas and giving some thought to them and start discussions, have, start having the discussions. With yeah. the exploration phase as well, and it might be covered in some of the later stages, how and at what point would you start seeding with potential acquirers? Because I'm imagining for a larger business, this is something that might have a long lead time and the earlier that that could be done just stops having a forced must-sell fire sale when it comes time. Absolutely. So you start cultivating the relationships, basically, because they could be the biggest customer of your life, you know, so that's the most important thing. So once we've brainstormed some potential acquirers, then we start doing what every good salesperson would do, and that is to build relationships with those potential acquirers, you know, and ultimately, if you you find, you know, you do that over a period of time, then you certainly reduce the the strain, I suppose, you know, the stress that comes with, oh, dear, I've got to sell the business. It, it It's like, you know, most people might think this is a bit woo-woo, but it's like the universe, you know, sort of you start, you're putting it out there, the energy is going there, and you'd be surprised at what happens. But, yes, you do absolutely start cultivating the relationships, start going along to maybe conferences mm-hmm. or network meetings or whatever, you know, to yeah. be able to do that, yeah. Yeah, perfect. And then we move into the third step, the innovate step. Yes, yeah. Well, that the whole innovation process is around what we discover, where the gaps are. So out of yep. the first evaluation stage, that will give you feedback initially on where to concentrate your efforts. And this, the same thing with the explore stage. So we combine the two. So we've got the clinical analysis, if you like, and benchmarking analysis of your business from a few different sources. And then we say, right, oh, well, here are the gaps. It's giving us feedback on where the gaps are. Where, you know, are we a C-grade business? We need to be a B or an A, you know, get to a B and then to an A-grade business. And so so through that process, we have identified where we need to concentrate our efforts. And again, when having explored potential acquirers, what are they looking for? What, maybe we need to tweak the business in a way that actually mm. makes us far more attractive to our potential acquirer. And so that's what we do through that whole innovation process. And the result of all that, of course, is that the value of the business increases enormously. And that's why I say to people, give yourself enough time. Don't, you know, don't sort of say, well, you know, I've got six months and I need to be out of the business. Well, sure that, look, you might find yourself in that situation, but touch wood, you don't. Because one of the other areas that we do need to make sure that we're covered is to look at all contingencies. And one of those might be that, there could be some business partners who are at different ages and stages. Uh, do you have another client where there were five shareholders and they ranged in age from 32 to 58? Well, obviously, their their uh, aspirations are different because of the age difference. So we need to look at those sort of what what options and what contingency plans are in place. And heaven forbid that anyone might become ill, you know, and they have to leave the business. So... Addressing all of those potential issues is about de-risking. And so in the whole innovation process, that's what we do. And we concentrate on the value drivers, uh, where the gaps are, what we can do to close those gaps. And the result of it is is incredible improvement in business value. What are some of those value drivers? Obviously, 
some of the things that you're looking in at the evaluate stage uncover some of those opportunities? Are there certain things where you kind of commonly see working on these areas add significant value? Sure. I mean, it's about where's the biggest bang for your buck, basically, you know, and what can you do? And, you know, there's always an order of priority as to where you can get the best results. So let's, um, let's say, for instance, let's just say look on, on the financial side. Most private business owners have, and rightly so, drawn drawn the profits from the business. We're assuming we've got a nice, successful business here, and they've drawn the profits from the business. But they've all sort of in the in that process, perhaps artificially, changed the bottom line. So let's have a look at what do we need to do to actually restore the bottom line to its proper results you know and that's why time's really important you know to be able to do that so that you you don't do it in one one go you know you over over a period of time you actually make sure that those adjustments are right the other thing is too around business growth and it may be because you've concentrated on just drawing profits from the business that that you haven't put money back into the business to actually be able to grow it. So, again, we would look at that and say, well, do we need to do something here? What else do we need to do to be able to grow the business? Maybe there's, frankly, Dave, one of the biggest issues I see is that people do not have their businesses systemized. They do not have their intellectual property sitting in a system. I'm not talking about inventions or Mm. technical expertise in that regard. I'm talking about the basic everyday systems that make life easy for somebody in their business. And that's an area that is always, frankly, I am yet to go into a business where I see it perfect. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, I mean, that's obviously one of the things that has connected us and why we've got a couple of shared clients is it's kind of like both of these topics go hand in hand. It's always a shortfall. That's a huge part about de-risking the business. So if you can walk out of the business and it can run without you because it's fully systemised, people know where to go, they know where to find information, they know A, B, C, this is the way, this is the way things are meant to happen, that mm. is the most valuable business that you can possibly have, quite frankly. It's a hard one to answer because I try and calculate and think about how much value systemizing a business can add. And it's it's so difficult to calculate because it'll increase efficiency, it'll reduce waste, it will add the value just by having it there because of that succession. I am curious, have you got any idea where you could say a well-systemized business could sell for a multiple of two times more or three times more? Or I know it's very hard to say though. Look, I don't think I could probably be as definitive as that, but there is absolutely no doubt that it will, that's about risk. So it will increase, definitely increase the value of the business and definitely add 30 or 40% without a doubt, I'm sure, being able to do that. And even businesses that have gone through some certifications like the, you know, ISO type certification Mm. are good in the, technical aspect that they are going through to get certified but it's everything else that just gets left you know so you know answering phones and following up leads and correct so i mean a marketing system my goodness if that would be the most valuable part of any business if yes you've got that well systemized there is no doubt in my mind that could 
quadruple a value of a business because so few businesses do that. You know, they yeah. are really stand out to be able to do that. Yeah. And then we kind of move into that that final stage, which is the transition stage. What what sort of things do we address there? Like at this point, I'm assuming you've thought about your business and, and where it's at and potentially moved into that step two to explore and see what else is out there. And then the innovation really sounds like it's a lot to do with the implementation about what you uncover, where you are, what you know the person wants to see when they're buying to add the most value in your building that bridge and you're filling those gaps and now we're kind of talking to that stage four now correct so one of the last things we do do in stage three though is to do what i call a mock due diligence yeah so we we go through the business to do another sweep to see if i was a buyer what would i want from the business And due diligence is special for a business owner. So we want to get through it and have it all ready. And we've got so that we've got everything ready. We just do one that's a practice. Yes. Um, and we yep. make sure that we have all the information. Because we've gone through and systemized and done everything, then we make sure we have all the information and we put it in a data vault, like just electronic data vault. And so when the time comes, it just makes life so much easier. Yes. So, so moving on to step well, four. Then, you, you've piqued my interest now. Now, like what sort of things then would go into that due diligence pack? Obviously, some financials. Um, what what other things might go in there? Uh, you would you'd want evidence of all your paperwork in terms uh, like evidence of all your legal status. You know, with your company details and all of that yeah. sort of stuff. You would want contracts, copies of all your contracts, if you, whatever contracts there are, whether it's with yeah. suppliers or clients or staff, for that matter. You'd want all your policies and procedures all yep. there in that data vault as well. You would want evidence of and sort of justification of your marketing positioning. Your, you know, if you've got external references or testimonials, all that sort of stuff that you know you yep. know here as well, which you not only have for uh, due diligence purposes but also for for your marketing purposes. You'd want to see your any IP registrations, domain names, password lists, you name it. Yes. Okay. In fact, a a business recently that has just been given a list of one of my clients that I'm working with now, and she's just been given a list for due diligence. Fortunately, we have already been through this, so it's been relatively painless for her to be able to. uh, So the due diligence list usually comes from the client. It's not like you're offering up the Dropbox folder. You've got it all there. They ask you and then you just go, here it is. Basically, yes. And there were 300 questions. There were 300 items on that list that they were asked to provide ballpark like what type of because obviously the depth of questions would depend on the value of the business because mm-hmm. they want to de-risk probably the more that they're spending right. the doubt for something that's 300 questions long are we we talking like a eight-figure business are we talking higher what what sort of well, that's, that's a million dollar business yep wow yeah okay yeah yep. i mean this is just doing your due diligence and yes. let me say that that goes two ways. So you want to do your due diligence. Admittedly, you can't necessarily put up a 300-question list, you know, that yes. you want on a potential acquirer. But it's just as important for you to do your due diligence on an acquirer as it is yes. to do it on you because you might have certain criteria that you want to make sure happens. And I, I guess um, use my example when I sold my first 
business in international freight forwarding, one of the key criteria I had was that everybody had a job. Uh, the only person out of a job was me. Yes. So I didn't want anybody, and we were approached by several others, but I was really, that was a go or no go for me. And so the I, business who eventually acquired us came was an international group. They had no representation in Australia and they had instant repre representation yes, with yeah. premises and everything, you know, when they bought our business. So, yes, you need to do your due diligence on that potential acquirer and make sure that you're happy with who they are. Is it a company like the Pretty Woman Company, you know, the movie Pretty Woman where the... The Richard Gere character, whose name escapes me right now, his modus operandi was he'd go out and buy all these businesses and then strip it, you know, strip the assets out and be out of work and, you know, end of story. So if that's what you'd be satisfied with happening or you, it's not of any concern to you, that's fine. I have no judgment whatsoever against any of that. But So know that that's who you, what you're potentially facing. So two-way street, really, in terms of due diligence. But... Yeah, they'll want all your figures, you know, they'll want all your financials. It's a, it's a, I've heard it referred to as something like a proctorial examination. Yes, yeah. Yes. I have heard people say basically the price that you might have initially start, started at there, every question they're asking that doesn't quite reflect something that you've said is a chance for them to negotiate down. It is, it is. And that's uh, quite, you know, don't go into a due diligence exercise with your eyes shut because that really is the first place to start for negotiating what might seem to be your number. It's going to be the place that they're going to start negotiating it down. Okay. So, and obviously, but one of the most important parts before that, of course, is that you sign a confidentiality agreement or a non-disclosure agreement that is uh, tight, that has times because once an acquirer gets the information that you are going to provide as part of your due diligence at this stage, you're opening up everything. Mm -mm. So you've got to be confident that you're going to be able to progress this beyond this stage. Yes. And then I suppose we move into that next stage, which is the transition mm -hmm. stage. What does this refer to? Is this the negotiation component or is this the handover or all of the above? Correct, all of the above. So, you know, we've done our practice due diligence, so we're, yep. we're good to go on that one. When, at this point, you know, you may or may not want to invest in a formal valuation. Uh, it, it, that might just depend, you know, yes. on the business because um, a potential acquirer will, you'll know already by this point whether in fact there's an offer on the table that you'd be willing to accept. The thing here too is that terms are as important, if not more important, than price. So. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. That's another Warren Buffett quote, okay? Yeah. And the terms of a deal are really, really important. Great story. Uh, someone I met in the US um, last year, Stephanie Breedlove, beautiful lady, uh, created a fantastic business with her husband ultimately where they were providing accounting services for families, for nannies. Okay? Yeah, wow. What a niche. Yeah. I know, I know. She, they'd grown the business to a $9 million revenue business, all recurring revenue. Um, wow, yeah. Unbelievably so. Uh, huge growth opportunities because they were only in a couple of locations and yep. um, their margin was on the bottom line, was staggering when they eventually got past all the hurdles. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me, was that 50%. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, yeah it was great. 
think they had employed about 20 people even. It was terrific. Yeah, very light. Yep. She was approached by a company called Care.com to sell the business. Yep. They initially offered her $36 million. And the way that they would have arrived at that, because there's, I mean, it's accounting business, so really the, the main thing there is the potentially turnover, strategic play obviously is going to be another thing. But going back to what we said before, if they're turning over nine, we're probably talking, I think you said 36 there, so that's probably, what, four times earnings or thereabouts? Well... Or or not earnings, sorry. Turned it down. (laughs) Okay? She turned it down. Oh, wow. Yes, okay. Okay. So the, um, the interesting part about this, of course, was that she and her husband looked at it and said, well, $36 million, it's nine, you know, we are actually making $4.5 million a year. We're living a very comfortable lifestyle. The business is going along really well. It's working like clockwork. You know, that's sort of for the next, and they're relatively young. They're only in their 40s. Then, you know, 10 years from then, we can chunk along for 10 years. That'll be fine, you know. Yeah, sorry, that's probably nine times profit there okay which is quite high on that that scale we were talking about yeah Yeah, okay so the interesting part of it all is that the acquirer care.com their business was the opposite of that of stephanie's business so they worked with big Mm -hmm. groups yeah so the fit for them strategically was a huge expansion in in a market that they could they could access yeah so anyway they the um care.com so they turned it down yeah yeah um they came back six months later and said how much do you want <laughs> and i think stephanie said that that they said 60 million and they the they eventually settled on 54 and they wow. 50 percent was cash and 50 percent was in shares in care.com so I mean, these are the sorts of deals that go yeah, on. Yeah, got it. They had a two-year earnout. They had certain profit hurdles that they had to reach in that period. Um, they they knocked it out of the park, and they knew they would. And uh, within eighteen months, and as Steph and Stephanie finished up in the business uh, after that, and she's look, she's a beautiful lady, and she now spends her time uh, mentoring, and she's a business angel, and you know, mentoring other other business women. But I think the, the key elements in there is that how the value that was there mm. was because of the strategic play, and that was the, the biggest revenue. driver, yeah. Yes, the recurring revenue and a bit of guts to say, you know, no. <laughs> yeah, I know, especially yeah. such a, a high valuation there. So you can't put a number around yes, those. Yes, yeah. You, know, uh, you can't put a multiple number and, and that's the genius of if you can, if you can find a strategic buyer, yes. somebody who, who can take your business because for them it's a, if you it's an arbitrage, okay? Yes. So they're going to pay you a multiple, but there are obvious synergies, there are obvious savings. They're going to turn that that profit that was being generated in that business into a multiple many times over when they're a listed company because, as you mm. know, with the listed companies, the uh, price earnings multiples are much higher uh, than they are for uh, private businesses, and and the arbitrage that's there between what you might get five or six times, which you think is great. Let's face it, that story with Stephanie and Care.com, they're the one that out of the bag type story. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. exception, not the rule. Uh, they're not the norm. 
you might say, okay, well, I'm getting a 10 times valuation, which actually occurred to with another one of my clients in an industry roll-up. They, they were paid the revenue of the business, which actually turned out to be a 10 times multiple. Yeah, well. Wow. But it was a public company and their PE was 16. So they might have been paid a 10 times multiple, but the public company already gained more than a 50% uplift by the by bringing it into their yes okay so really it boils down to what's the number that you're happy with okay um what do you need to have for the to live on for the rest of your life what's the number happy with are you happy with the outcome have you figured out what you're going to do what's your second purpose what's your next reinvention so for me i'm in my fifth reinvention and so you you can be happy with what's transpired and you've got a sense of purpose for the rest of your life yeah. I suppose in the tail end, I'm just trying to think if there are any final questions I might have for that transition because I know we're kind of just coming to the close now. Things like, it's I suppose it really comes up, down. But that's one thing I haven't actually even touched on yet. Oh, it's you really important to get the right financial advice in this regard too and make sure that you've got all your estate planning set up correctly. Yes. Because uh, a lot of Often, you know, you as private businesses, especially, you have trust. I mean, I'm not a financial advisor, just speaking from a place of experience, that's all. You know, don't take any of this as gospel, but it's a case of um, you often have things set up in trusts. Um, have you got your wills and things organized? You know, sometimes, depending on your structure, you might say, Oh, I want this to go to somebody. You can't will trusts you can't will assets in trust so you've got to get all these things sorted out but right at the top level of course it's about making sure you've got the right financial advice to have all of your um all of the legal requirements taxation requirements and you know we we'd address that anyway a little bit earlier than this and then this stage but just to make sure that you've got everything set up properly yeah perfect well we might wrap it up from there i know if uh, people want to keep an eye on what you're up to uh, and find out more because this it's really a deep topic and we've just kind of scratched the surface i know you've got your book uh, which people can get from the website the best place for people to go i think the best place is to go to um, complimentary copy of my book which is to free exit strategy Perfect. And I'll just pop a, a link near this uh, interview as well. So thank you so much, Kerry, for your time. And, and no doubt we'll keep chatting together and working together and have a, a part two, no doubt. Fantastic. Thanks, Dave. You've just been listening to the System Hub podcast. Remember, we've documented this system for you so you can literally swipe and deploy it within your business. Head to www.systemhub.com forward slash podcast to download it now. 